My name is Philip J. Merrill, and I'm the host of An Artifactual Journey, and today we are honored and excited to be talking to Guy Rawlings. Yes, he is part of the infamous Rawlings family that goes way back in Baltimore's history, and we are just tickled pink. We feel as though we're in high cotton. We just are overjoyed with the fact that we get to talk to elder from our community that has a whole lot to share that will help future generations understand about what it was like growing up in Baltimore, getting education, going off to college, just having an impact on where we are today. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Guy to our podcast. Guy, it's a real pleasure. As you can tell, I'm, I'm really excited to have you here. Could you tell our audience how you came to contact us, please? Okay. It's a strange story. My grandson must be visiting us for the two weeks, and I saw a picture that his mother put on Facebook, and he's holding a sign for her where she's about to give a speech at some school. And the school number in Matthews, North Carolina, was school number 161. Wait, wait a minute. Did you say Matthews, North Carolina? Yes. We, we go to Matthew every day. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Come on. Stop. Hold, hold the phone. Stop. Stop yeah. the presses. We live in Mint Hill. Okay. <clears throat> and Mint Hill is about 15 to 20 minutes from Matthews. And we go wow. into Matthews every single day. Saturdays, we go to the farmer's market. So he was holding a sign. The school number was 161. And it just triggered in my head. I wonder if I could find anything about Fanny Barber. School number 161, where we lived, we lived at, and Paul Holmes Pride in Baltimore. And boom, that picture pops up, and I'm going, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yes, it is, it is, it is. And to look at that crowd, and then instantly pick myself out was crazy. And then, <laughs> obviously, Penny or Barber serves, a, you know, obviously, a wide area, but the Paul Holmes Project was you know, within a block and a half. And so a lot of the people I knew grew up with was at that school and in that picture. I was only able to quickly identify one gentleman, Linwood Nelson. Wonderful. So you could identify yourself and Linwood? Right. Thanks to yeah. you, we now have a connection to trying to understand the who, what, when, and where of Fannie L. Barber School number 161. <laughs> And see, what you don't know is we had a contract where my father was the first director of the new school initiatives for Baltimore City. Okay? Yeah. My dad called me one day and he said, Philip, the school system is throwing away thousands of photographs. He said, now they all are not of African American like you like, but many have segregated schools and visitors and principals and all aspects of Baltimore. There are literally thousands of photographs and prints and slides. Do you want them? I said, yes. I said, I am coming immediately. I stopped what I was doing, guy. I ran to <coughs> Office Depot and, and got a bunch of those fold up in the boxes. I zipped to the school system headquarters in Baltimore, often known as Alice's Palace, named after Alice Penderhughes. And my eyes popped out of my head because in the dumpster, I was pulling out thousands of photographs. She was one of my teachers. Okay, that, that, that's Karen. That, you know what? I'm done. I might as well just fall off my chair. Okay, so <laughs> as I pull out all these photographs, they're still in boxes. So over the years, every now and then, we go through 
try to digitize some and begin to work on some. And since I've been a big fan of Fannie L. Barber as a pioneering educator and a longtime colored high school slash Douglas high school educator, that's why we put the post up. And so we've come full circle now by connecting to you and you connecting us to Linwood. And after a while, we might have a nice little segment of history reflecting on what kind of education was received at this pioneering school that has since been forgotten. Um, So that's how we come to the table. And I'm just, again, excited that uh, your grandson in Matthews, which is a stone throw from our house, was holding a sign for uh, 161 and you went to 161. So let me ask you this. This is always a, a debate with some of our elders. Did you refer to the school back in the day as 161 or Fannie L. Barber Elementary? Typically 161. The junior high was 91, which is Wind Falls Parkway Junior High. It's strange. Never referred to Edmondson High School as number 400, what that school was. So sometimes you use the number, sometimes. Yeah, that, that, that is quirky because, see, some people want to debate with us and say that they only knew of their institution by the number. And I'm saying from research that we see it both ways. <clears throat> and so you're confirming that Edmondson was not referred to as 400, but 161 was referred to as 161. And what caused you to go to 161? Was it the local neighborhood school as you were referring to? or oh, local neighborhood school. I mean, it's... Whole Homes Projects was right, I mean, almost connected to 161. I mean, it's, it, the court we lived in was a block and a half away from 161. However, if you lived at the end of Whole Homes Projects, you are, were pretty much across the street from 161. Mm, mm, mm. So there was no excuse for you to ever be late, correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I Now, that's a good point. Why did you love school in those days? Could you elaborate on that, please? I think it was fun meeting new people. I was kind of shy, but I enjoyed meeting kids and other kids, and it just added flavor to your day, I thought. When you would get to school, did you have a favorite teacher? Can you share some of the names of the teachers at 161? Can only remember two. Okay, Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) Miss Alice Fenderhues was one, and the other one was Miss Cunningham, and I think it was Miss Wilson also. What did Alice Fenderhues teach you? I think it was first grade. I'm, and in those uh, days, did you start off school with the Pledge of Allegiance? Oh, yeah. What about what some scholars and other folk want to refer to as the Negro National Anthem? Did you recite that at all? Lift every voice and sing? No way. No, no. way? What, what about any Bible passages? No. <laughs> Not really? So you would start no. off in a homeroom class? It's all day in the same room. Oh, all day in the same room. We probably moved from there when I was probably in third or fourth grade. So that picture, which I'm guessing is around 1955, I would have been eight or nine years old. Oh, my. So it's taking you back. So let me share some information that you may or may not know. In September 1951, the school was built at a cost of $1.5 million. (laughs) Okay. At the time, it was Baltimore's most Modern school, according to the Baltimore Afro-American newspaper, the September 15, 1951 edition. It, it served kindergarten through sixth grade. In 52, it was officially dedicated as Fannie L. Barber School Number 161. And the principal at the time was G. Albert Wright 
and he was once a former student of Fannie L. Barber. What? Is, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Now, did you know that you were at Baltimore's most modern school at the time? Well, kind of recognize it was pretty new. Well, it, it, it had such modern amenities. It's better lighting, spacious classrooms. It had air conditioning, if you can believe that. Okay, some of the schools yes. today in Baltimore were struggling with the HVAC system, but you were attending a school that actually had air conditioning. Okay, yep. It had yep. soundproof rooms, which I can't believe. Mm-hmm. A large playground, a health center, and a reading center. See, so in essence, this was a cutting edge building. I mean, obviously, it was my first school started there in kindergarten, so so I wouldn't have any comparison. But there's no question that you know it was a great place to be. Yeah, we loved it. We get this from different interviews over the years that we've done. Did you get hand-me-down books, or because this was a new school, did you get brand new textbooks? If you can recall, yeah, no, I really can't recall, but I think I'm pretty sure they were new. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were new. Talk to me about the clothing attire. You wouldn't wear tennis shoes other than for PE, correct? That is correct. Okay. Okay. So uh, let me get to the, to the meat of the question. Yeah, you wore shoes to school. I remember wearing flappers <laughs> to, to school. I don't know. I don't know what those are. You have to educate me, please. What is what? What's that? Well, here's where your soles disconnect from your from no, the, the shoe. And you okay. call them flappers? Yeah, that's what I call them. I don't think it was a necessarily a, a recognized name for them. My, my, but, my but lord. That would happen, you know, it's not every day, but that, yeah. that would happen occasionally. Right, Because right. you didn't uh, whine about not having shoes. You didn't whine about, you know, holes in your shoes. So, and yeah, when you went, went to gym, you would change into sneakers to do to, to do gym. So, right, right. And, and, and by any chance... Would you be wearing some clothes that some of your brothers had worn at some point? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Fortunately, I had the blessing of having an older sister, so most likely my brother Gilbert's clothes would not have fit me in time. In a big family, all the kids were within two two or three years uh, <laughs> apart, so it was easy to do the hand-me-downs. Right, right. How many were in your family? I'm one of six One of kids. six, okay. And I, I guess it was a three-bedroom, you know, tight Nicole Holmes projects. And where were you in the pecking order? Number five of six. Oh, so you were almost a baby. Yep. You were probably spoiled more. My uh, older siblings would think so, but my sister definitely was. Do you think you were spoiled? No, not really. Unlike today, when kids want something, they typically get it. Be bold enough to ask. Okay, okay. During that time period in the, in the 50s, what did you do at recess, or what did you do after you did your homework once you got home? Were you allowed to go outside and play, or did you have to stay inside and do chores? or Co-homes, courts. Each of them, there's probably, I'm not even sure how many courts there were that make up Poe Holmes projects, but each of them had a concrete little recreational thing in, in, in the middle of the court. Okay. Ours was a cement airplane. A cement airplane? My goodness. Uh, one court had a cement boat. Okay. Uh, so you go out and play on, on that. There's also was a, a, a central area which had like a basketball court, which was caged mm-hmm. in mm-hmm, basketball mm-hmm. and or tennis court. So if you had a, a net, you could string a net across the, the cage. Well, you, you might get to play over there, but you couldn't be 
you know, at my age, I wouldn't have gone to the cage right, right. without one of my big brothers or big sisters. And, and it was safe. Were your parents or, or older siblings concerned about your well-being, or was it was at a different time where you were okay playing outside? Oh, yeah, we're definitely okay playing outside because it's right in the court courtyard, what we call apartments, were facing the court. So you had no concerns about safety within the court. But if you left the court, you still had no, not much concern about safety. Just a matter of your, your eyesight of the families, the parents in that court. You would basically know the, your, the neighbors in your court or your parents would? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get your butt whipped by your neighbors. <laughs> okay, that's what that's what I was going with. So, so in other words, when I hear people talking about that, by the time you got home, you could have been punished by so many different parents because they had the authority back then. Yes, absolutely. You wanted to avoid. <laughs> well, were you a mischievous uh, little rascal, or were you a oh, goody no, tissues? No, I, I was. I was. I think I was a pretty good kid, but but yeah, I, yeah, make mistakes. <laughs> I make mistakes in life, and sure. and there they had a hedge, a row of hedges on the Lexington Street side of the court. When you did wrong, you had to go get a switch so you can get beat. No, you had to go to the bush to get your own switch. Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> oh my gosh! And if the switch wasn't big enough. You had to go back to get a bigger switch. Now, is, is this from is this from seeing your siblings or friends or you actually witnessed, you actually experienced the switch? Uh, yeah, I had to do that. So you, yep. what did you do to deserve that treatment? If you could share. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really honestly can't remember okay. what I did, but I remember the whipping. Sure. <laughs> but, let, uh, let, me, let me ask you this. At school, well, did fights break out at Fannie Barbara 161 or was discipline oh. not an issue? Oh, no, discipline was not an issue. There's no fight. You know, you went to the school day, did what you supposed to do, and you didn't want to do anything wrong. You know, they bring your parents in, and that was like capital punishment. I mean, that's you don't want your parents to have to come, to come up to, to the school. school. I thought education was a key to being successful in life, and so uh, it still is. Uh, believe it or not, it still it is. Still is. Yeah. Went, to, went to Morgan and then worked for a couple of years and then went to the Wharton School which, uh, for my MBA. Which, 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 is, which is outstanding. So so, so look yeah. at your humble beginnings. I mean, look at your journey. That's uplifting, inspiring for anyone. And a lot of the kids in those families did very well. Doctors, my oldest brother was um, Maryland State Legislature. Who, by the way, culture. if I could interject, he helped get me elected to the Democratic State Central Committee. Wow. I served on the Democratic State Central Committee with a very young Stephanie Rawlings. Mm, okay. What is a common thread that I keep seeing from these elders that I love to interview about pre-Brown v. Board is the importance of hard work, of values, of ethics, of integrity, of respect, of family, of doing the right thing and passing it forward. So... What you're saying, besides it warming my heart, only gives more credence to the fact that lots of families of African descent were able to do more with less than, in essence, than what we're doing today. See, so what I love to do is to hear people like yourself talk about, you know, the switch. (laughs) You wanted to do good. You love school. When you think about what's going on today, the kids don't even want to go to school. 
As a matter of fact, I interviewed a 90-some-year-old gentleman. His name is Bill Jessup. William Jessup came out of Douglas in, I think, in the, like, 47 or something to that effect, okay? He lived in Lafayette Square in Old West Baltimore. He said he loved school so much that he would run to school every morning. Now, you were fortunate because you could only walk, a, you know, less than a block, but he lived several blocks away and he would run to school because of the teachers, the programs, and, the, and, and just what was set up in your day. And he said Leonard Duck Gibson was like a father to him. And Duck Gibson was the reason that Douglas is called the Ducks, by the way. So, you, you know, it's so refreshing that you also loved school and wanted to do right. You didn't want to get into trouble. You didn't want your parents to come up to school. And that you knew that education was a stepping stone to being successful in America at that time period. Absolutely. And like you said, your family is is one of many families that came out of humble beginnings that go on to do magnificent work in various fields. At home, did your father have or mother have strict dining uh, etiquette around the table? Mm, I wouldn't say strict, but you know, when the food was prepared and ready, boom, you, you put your butt in the seat and you ate and you you have a, have had to have a really good reason not to eat what was prepared for you. Right, you had to uh, eat it anyway. Yeah, you did anyway. And if you didn't, you don't have a long night. <laughs> okay, okay. another question. When you leave, what year is it that you leave Fanny Barber? 161, roughly. You said third grade? Yeah, third or fourth. And you moved to Edmonton Village? Yes. On what street? Edgewood Street. 208 Edgewood Street. Oh, I might have to play that number. <laughs> Speaking of that, I love to ask people, did your family in any way play the, the numbers? Yep, in the projects we did. I know my mother did. My father would occasionally give my mother a number, and you had a guy come around <laughs> to, you know, to, to accommodate that. Right, right, right. So, okay, that, that's good. When you moved to Edgewood, we're still in the late 50s, correct? So, is the trolley still in the middle of Edmondson Avenue at the time? Yes. When we first moved there, yeah. It was there? Yes. So, you stayed there long enough to begin to see an influx of African Americans moving into the neighborhood? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, when we moved in, there were very few, you know, very few blacks on Edgewood Street, Denison Street, other streets around. But then, you know, it started to change... uh, yeah, it started to change. Yeah, like, and, and see, I'm old enough to remember that Edmondson Village, where the heck company and the other department stores on the other side of the street. Mm-hmm. And we integrated 10 Hills. We wow. integrated that neighborhood in 72. Wow. And okay. the folks could not believe when they knocked on the door and a black woman was there, they thought <laughs> that was the housekeeper. And it wasn't. And and when I told people that I live there, they said, oh, I remember so-and-so in my family used to do day's work. or They worked as maids and housekeepers out there. And you really live there? See, so it's interesting how certain parts of Baltimore are attached to certain time periods and themes in people's minds. That's right. Yep. And so I knew Edmondson Village very well because we would go through there almost every day, coming or going. Yep. What causes yep. you to go to Morgan? 
sounds a little silly, but it almost felt obligated that I had that I had to go to college. Okay. And the cheapest college to go to was obviously local. And as I said before, I liked school, enjoyed the social aspects of school. I wasn't the best student. Right. So scholarships, had I applied myself and and if it were a different time, I might have gotten a scholarship for lacrosse. Are you uh, really? So you'd have been a, you'd have been a precursor to the Morgan Bears, the championship team. Yes, uh, this would be a strange story to you, but I was one of Morgan's first lacrosse players when he, I helped start start the process. Are I you say. you're kidding me? And you helped to institute lacrosse at Morgan? Yeah, it was basically a club. You know, guys getting together to think about doing it. Right. And right. I can't think of the guy's name who was the lead guy. He became a doctor. I was a, probably a junior at that time. So Miles, myself, and you know, a few other guys thought, why don't we do that? Try to get a team together. And life uh, interrupted. I got married, so I had to drop off the, off that project. Because uh, you had a more important that. project. <laughs> yep. It's called, it's, called, it's called my wife. <laughs> but had I not been black, there's a possibility that I could have gone to you know, some other school that with, with a lacrosse scholarship because I did very, very well at Edmondson playing. But, um, and and, and let, me, let me ask you this. What position did you play? Yeah. Were you a crease attack or defense or, or midfield? What position were you? started out as an uh, attack because I had really good stick handling skills. Sure. And obviously, you want the, the, you know, the best stick handlers. Are, right, 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 right. Right. And so, and then moved into as a midi. Okay. And it's just remarkable to see how far lacrosse has evolved within urban centers in Baltimore and other places around the country and how popular right. it is. Yep. We love the fact that your family has been instrumental in Baltimore's history. I would not have been elected to the Democratic State Central Committee if your brother had not picked me up. So it's been a pleasure. I'm so delighted that your wife could sit in on a piece of it and we'll be back in touch and and, and may God continue to embrace you and your family and keep you well. Thank you very much, Philip.